0: Okay, let's continue now with our series. Grace is what I'd like to talk about. Unconditional grace. This is something we hear a lot about, but the fact of the matter is uh, the Bible teaches uh, unconditional grace and unconditional love. Now, one of the things uh, when you study the Bible, one of the things that you have to be careful to do is to maintain balance, okay? Okay. You don't want to run to the right too far. You don't want to run to the left too far. You want to find where the Lord stands and then go shoulder to shoulder with Him. And sometimes people have a tendency to go too far in one direction or another. I listen to a lot of preachers on the television. It's been a pastime of mine for some time. And uh, it's not uncommon to hear uh, preachers on the television uh, talk about unconditional grace and unconditional love, uh, as though this is uh, the grace and love of God. It's always unconditional. And what I want to show you is that not the case. There is such a thing as unconditional grace and love, but it's not uh, it's not the standard that God lives by. When you think about unconditional love, for example, John three sixteen. That's what it teaches. For God so loved the world, okay? All of humanity, it's unconditional. What did we do to get that love? Nothing. He loved us because we exist. God so loved the world. It's unconditional love. So there is such a thing as unconditional love. It's a love that God has for all mankind. There's also unconditional grace that we read about in the scriptures. Matthew uh, chapter 5, verse uh, 45 there. Uh, God doesn't discriminate. He uh, makes his sun rise on the evil, the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. All humanity is uh, the recipients of the grace of God. Every day the world goes round and round, and whether saint or sinner, we all benefit from that gracious gift that God gives us. If he wanted to put the brakes on the world, it would all come to an end, but he keeps the world going round and around. He upholds all things by the word of his power, as the Hebrew author says in chapter one and verse three, he upholds all things. He makes the world go around and all of us are beneficiaries of divine grace. So there is such a thing as unconditional love and grace but there's also a conditional love, okay? And we want to be sure to keep this in mind. In order to be the recipient of divine love, in some cases, there are things that we must do. There are conditions that must be met in order to receive uh, the love of God. For example, in John chapter 16 and verse 27, Jesus said, the Father himself loves you. The apostles. Well, God loves the world. Yeah, that's what John 3.16 says. But it becomes obvious here that the Lord's talking about something different. The Father himself. God loves the world. The Father himself. Different. It's a different thing he's talking about. The Father loves you. He's talking to the apostles at that time. He wasn't talking to me or you by implication, by inference. You know, we're involved on down the road. But at the moment, he was talking to his apostles. He said, the Father himself loves you. Why? Because you have loved me. There's the condition. God loves the world. Unconditional love. But the Father loves you because of a condition. Number one, you love me. And number two, you have believed. Okay? There's two conditions, actually. Because of their loving Jesus, because of their believing Jesus, the God now loves them in a different way. As a matter of fact, in the Greek uh, scriptures, There are actually two different words. Unfortunately, when you're translating language, it's hard sometimes to get the ideal across. The uh, English Bible, the ones we use, are uh, uh, word-for-word translation, and it makes it very difficult to convey the meaning. For example, in Greek, there are five words that are translated into a single word, love, okay? But these five words for love in the Greek Bible, they're different. They're not the same. It's a different kind of love. For example, in John 3.16, in the Greek text, the the word agapo is used. For God agapos the world. Agapo is a a love of the will. Uh, God wants good for the world. This is how it's possible for us to love our enemies. I can remember a time when I had a very hard time trying to love my enemy. Matter of fact, it wasn't even possible. When I thought of love, I thought of a warm and fuzzy feeling, like you have for your mom and your daddy. Uh, I, I couldn't love my enemy that way. You know, I, I wrestled with that and wrestled with it. And then uh, I, uh, I learned a little more. And I got to where I understood what the word meant. It's, it's a it's a love of the will. In other words, I've got an enemy, and he comes to me, and he says, I'm dying for a drink of water. Please give me a drink of water. I give him a drink of water. That's loving my enemy, okay? Don't like him. Can't hardly stand to look at him. But I give him a drink of water because he needs a drink of water. I love my enemy. That's what the word means. God loves the world. He doesn't want the world to perish in sin. Therefore, he sent his only begotten son to pay the price for our sin. God so loved the world. Now, in John uh, chapter 16, we have the word there, phileo, okay, which has to do with emotion, emotional love. Now, this is love we have for mom and daddy, a husband and wife, children. It's an emotional attachment to a person. And this is what Jesus is saying to his apostles. My, 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 my father loves you as a person loves their own children. Why? Because you love me. And because you have believed. Okay? It's a different life. God doesn't love the world that way. And that's where sometimes people get messed up when they try to understand God. Can God really send children he loves to a devil's hell? Number one, all people are not the children of God. Offspring, yes. Children, no. In order to become a child of God, you've got to be adopted into the family of God. There's an adoption that has to take place. All people are not his children in the sense that we think of children. Okay? And number two, God doesn't love them. Not like that. Not like you love your, your son or your daughter. He doesn't love them that way. Can God really send people to a devil's hell? Of course he can. They made themselves his enemies. And he can certainly consign them to a devil's hell. you got to understand God. He wants good things for all creation. But if people refuse to listen to him, They're on their own. He's not going to intervene. There'll be no grace. There'll be no love. And it's important that we all understand this. Do you know how many millions of people think they can do whatever they want to do and still have the love of God like a father to a child? People believe that because they've been taught that. And they're not trying to live the way that the Lord wants them to live. And it's awful. It's a shame. We've got to know the truth, and we've got to tell people better. The Father loves you, my apostles, because you love me, and you have believed that I came forth from God. It's a special kind of love, not like John 3.16. There's also a conditional grace. And of all places, it comes from Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. This is the passage that everybody uses to prove that love, or grace, rather, is unconditional. Quite to the contrary. Ephesians 2 teaches that there are conditions attached to grace, receiving divine grace. By grace, Paul said to the Ephesians, you have been saved through faith. It's By grace, through faith. That's the condition, through faith. They received grace because they believed. That's the condition. If there's no belief, there is no grace. It's just that simple. There's a time when grace is unconditional, the sunshine. There's a time when grace is conditional, salvation. There must be belief in Jesus as the Son of God before there can be salvation. And no, 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 this salvation, it's not of yourself, it's not of your own doing. Just because you believe, that doesn't mean you have merited salvation. No, no, it's a gift of God. It's a gift that God chooses to give to those who believe him, okay? These are the recipients of divine grace. It doesn't teach unconditional grace, it teaches conditional grace, just the opposite of what some folks seem to see there. For we, not all people, but we are his workmanship. This is an exclusive group that Paul was speaking of. By grace, you have been saved because you believe. And having been saved, we have become his workmanship, or the word better translated, in my opinion, is masterpiece. We are his masterpiece. He has made us over into something different. It's not all people that receive this divine grace. It's only those who believe. Unless a person believes, they cannot be saved. Now, a discussion on belief, that's something for another day. But uh, for today, what I just said is actually factual. If we believe we can be saved, uh, we are God's masterpiece. Saving grace, therefore, is only given to people of faith. It's conditional. So we've seen unconditional grace and love. We've seen conditional grace and love. And we have to distinguish between the two. But we also are taught that grace can be forfeited. Some people say it can You've heard of the doctrine of once saved, always saved. It's not true. A person can't be saved and go out and start eating people and still be saved. There's none of us that believe that. Even the people who uh, fall under the umbrella of this teaching, they don't believe it either. Nobody believes it. How can you be saved and go out and and, uh, uh, torture, burn with cigarettes uh, uh, two-year-old children and still be saved how is such a thing even possible how can a mind entertain such a thought of course that's not true a person can be saved but grace can be forfeited and paul teaches it galatians chapter 5 verse 3 i testify again to every man who becomes circumcised why would a man become circumcised primarily these are jews why would they become circumcised with the keeping the law of moses They're circumcised in order to be saved. That's why they're circumcised. These are Christians who are still holding on to certain tenets of the law of Moses. And Paul said, now I'm testifying to you, brethren. I want you to listen to me. These have become Christian. Every man who becomes circumcised, now you've indebted yourself to keep the entire law of Moses. There's two ways of salvation. Number one, there is the system of grace. Number two, There is the system of law-keeping. You're going to be saved by one or the other. You will not be saved by both. Paul's telling these folks, if you are circumcised to be saved, then you are now in debt to keep the entirety of the whole law of Moses. You've got to keep it all. You've got to find justification through law-keeping. You've got to keep it perfectly. The problem is no one ever did. No one ever could. No one ever would. People are sinners. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Nobody keeps the whole law perfectly. But once you commit yourself to being saved through law-keeping, you've now indebted yourself to keeping all the law. You have to keep it all. You can't be a sinner. You have to be a Jesus. Jesus kept the law. Okay? He was not a sinner. He kept it without flaw. The person who wants to be circumcised in order to be saved, that this is his pathway of salvation, has got to keep the whole law. Anytime you commit yourself to meriting salvation through law keeping, You've got to keep all the law because there is no grace. There's no grace for those who think they can merit salvation. There's no grace for those people. You've got to do it yourself. You can do it if you keep the whole law. Rock to rook, and that, that won't happen. Circumcised is the problem. They wanted to be saved because they were circumcised. Some people fall in the same trap when it comes to the teaching of baptism. There are many people, uh, even in our brotherhood, who hang everything on baptism. That as long as a person has been baptized, the person is going to be saved. Well, when you hang your hat on baptism as a means of meriting salvation, you've made the same mistake the Jews made in regard to the law of Moses. There is no grace anymore. Now you've got to earn it, you've got to keep the law perfectly, flawlessly. And of course, as we all know, we've already missed that boat because we've sinned along the way. You have to be very careful of having this opinion that we have somehow earned our salvation. We can't earn our salvation. There's nothing we can do that gives us the right to salvation, okay? It's it's just not possible because we do sin. We depend on divine grace for salvation. We depend on the love of God for our salvation, not on ourselves, not because I'm good. It's because God is good. And that's where we want to put our confidence in God. You have become estranged from the Christ Estrange is like a, a husband and wife separating. Estrange is a separation. It's severing uh, the relationship, okay? It's not a divorce, but it is a separation. You have separated yourself from the Christ. Why? You, you tried to earn your salvation through law-keeping, and that caused your relationship with Christ to be ruptured. You're separated now. You can't rely on him. You can't rely on grace you who attempt to be justified by law he's talking of course here about circumcision you attempt to be justified through circumcision you have been severed from the christ even more you have fallen from grace a child of god can fall from grace the teaching of once saved always saved is not true if you fall from grace you have fallen from salvation Because grace is the only way we can be saved. You ran well, Paul said to the Galatian Christians. You ran well. But what hindered you? What got in your way? Uh, Probably, who hindered you? What was said? This persuasion does not come from God. It came from men. Men convinced them that they needed to be circumcised in order to be saved. And in doing so, they fell from grace. It's very sad. Truth can be uh, perverted. This is another thing we want to keep in mind. Always, always keep it in mind. It can be distorted. The scribes and the Pharisees were guilty of this uh, crime. Jesus said to them, you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Their teaching made God's teaching of no effect. Let me show you how it worked. They perverted the truth. God commanded, Jesus said, saying, honor your father and your mother. Now, they perverted this. How in the world could anybody pervert that? Well, they found a way to do it. God said, honor your mom and your daddy. What does that mean? Take care of them. Uh, When your mom and daddy gets old, you take care of them. You take them to the doctor. You keep them up. If they don't have enough money, you give them money. Uh, you you do whatever you got to do to take care of your mom and daddy. They took care of you and you was the little one. Now you take care of them. It's your turn. It's on the other end of the stick. It's your responsible. That's what it means. Honor your mother and your father. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might receive from me, it is a gift to God. The profit now has to do with time, energy, money. Okay, they were obliged to help their mom and daddy. Their mom and daddy uh, put themselves out for their children. Now in old age, the parents can't take care of themselves. The children are obliged to take care of mom and daddy. Well, it's going to cost you money, time, and energy. Well, the scribes, the Pharisees, they came up with a plan. If you will give a one-time offering to God, then you're not responsible for your mom and daddy. You tell your mom and daddy, What I would have invested in you, I'm giving to God. You're on your own, mama, daddy. Then he need not honor his father or his mother. I think it was about money, okay? I think it was about money. How can you you dishonor your father and your mother? I think money was the key. They saved a lot of money by giving a one-time offering to the temple. And of course, the scribes and the Pharisees, they made out like bandits because they were the recipients of all that money. Thus, you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. The Lord gave this command because he wanted to take care of old people. That was the plan. A sort of social security system, if you will. The Lord gave this law to his people in order that old people wouldn't starve to death or wouldn't have to live out under a tree, that they would be taken care of. No, it wasn't the responsibility of the government. It was the responsibility of the children. The children were supposed to do it, not the government. This was God's plan of Social Security. Take care of your own. They didn't want to. They were busy. You know, they had to go to the lake. Uh, they had to go play golf. Uh, they had to make money. And once made, they didn't want to give it up. There's a lot of reasons. And this this plan came up. Instead of spending a possible hundred thousand dollars keeping up your mom and daddy till they die, make a ten thousand dollar gift to the temple you'll save 90,000 bucks and you won't have to fool with them anymore. Don't go visit them. Just go do what you want to do. That's what the Lord was trying to prevent. Honor your father and your mother. Their rule said he need not honor your father and mother. I want you to honor your father and mother, God said. You say you don't have to do it. In the process, you have made the command of God of no effect. What God wanted to do for the aged, you have messed it up. All of God's commands have a reason. They have a purpose. The Lord tries to accomplish something. And everything he tells us to do, he tells us to do it because it's for our own good in the long run. But people always think they've got a better way. And that's where all this other stuff comes in. It's like the teaching of once saved, always saved. Hey, what an idea. I can become a Christian and I can go run with the devil. I mean, you don't even have to change your life. It would be a good thing in the minds of many people. And of course, that's what some do. Even friends can't pervert the truth. They don't mean to, but they do sometimes. Apollos was such a fella. He was a great preacher. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord with one mistake, though he knew only the baptism of John. There's a good chance that he may have been baptized by the Baptist or perhaps one of his disciples. I don't know. Uh, But at any rate, all Apollos knew was The baptism of John he didn't know anything about the baptism of Christ so he was doing what he knew to do which is all anybody can really do well Aquila and Priscilla two disciples who knew better they heard him speaking they took him aside they explained to him the way of God more accurately no doubt they taught him about the baptism that Christ authorized which was different well, Apollos was a good man. He admitted, I goofed. I didn't know that. I'm sorry. And uh, he decided to to uh, uh, stop preaching in Ephesus, and he went on to the region of Achaia. So what we have left is a group of people in Ephesus who had only been baptized according to the baptism of John. There is no salvation in the baptism of John. The baptism of John had died. It had been nailed to the cross. Those who were being baptized according to the baptism of John were not in Christ. And that's why these folks had not received the Spirit of God. They hadn't been baptized as the Lord authorized. So you've got a group of people in Ephesus who thinks they're saved, but truth be told, they're not saved. They believed something that wasn't true, which you can't fault them for. It's all they knew. But because of that, they were not saved. Well, God knew that, and God loved these people, and God is a God of grace. So what did he do? Well, you flip the page in your Bible. You come to Acts 19 and 1, and what do you find? Paul the apostle coming into the city of Ephesus. Now, what do you reckon the Lord sent him to Ephesus for? You know what he did. He discovered that these people had not been baptized into Christ, and he took them and baptized them in the name of Jesus, and they were therefore saved. Apollos taught something that wasn't true, not because he was a bad guy. It's because he didn't understand. He didn't know any better. But the effects of his teaching were just as devastating. These folks could not have been saved. God isn't going to let them be lost. No, he'll send somebody to help them, as he did in the case with Paul the Apostle. Divine grace, do not be deceived. Grace is good. It's by grace that we are saved, but do not be deceived. Our Lord said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. This is the person who shall be saved. Now, we're all in a learning process. All of us are. We're trying to learn more about the Lord. We're trying to know him better. We're trying to get closer to him. Sometimes we discover we didn't know what we thought we knew, and uh, we have to change our ways. But uh, that's okay. That's the way it works. If you're here today, if you need divine forgiveness, we hope you'll come. Let us assist you while we assist ourselves and we stand and sing.